podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I keep my circle very, very tight. So anyone that I do let in, I know that I can trust them. So besides the besides the talent, I have power to go with it. The stuff that they might. How old do you think I am? And these MMA guys are tough, mate. Let me tell you. Right. you know, and they're not really fights. A lot of them, you know, they're just one guy beating up on another guy. It's something that'll never leave me. To mm. be honest, you know, um, there's there's the incident that happened. Well, he could have catched could not have been here at all. Yeah, you know that that's that's the main thing. But I mean, geez. It's, uh... Hey guys, I'm Sai. Welcome to Ace Podcast Nation. This is another uh, episode of my story, and I'm delighted to be joined today by a former former title contender, uh, professional boxer, and of course, bo- boxing and MMA trainer technically now. Uh, Mr. Gary Lockett, how are you, my friend? I'm very well, thank you. And yourself? Yeah, very well. Very good. I mean, really looking forward to this. Um, as I was just saying to you then, like I've spoken to a lot of people about you, so it was quite nice. It's kind of going to be quite nice to uh, to speak to the man himself. Um, obviously, I've well, spoken to various guys and boxers, and Jack Shaw, Oban, and uh, a few of the other guys, and uh, they all speak exceptionally highly of you. Richard Shaw as well, of course. They all speak so highly of you, and you're not just your skills but your uh, abilities as a coach and how much you help mm. them yeah. how, how so this is something we talk about almost on a weekly basis on the Sunday shows um, where we have different you know like last week we had the world champion kickboxer on yes um, the importance of a coach in a fighter's life because to me it seems like almost like a a parental relationship without it being a parental relationship if that makes yeah, sense yeah of course I think it can it can be very, very, very important, kind of. And uh, you have you have a lot of guys, and I've worked with a lot of guys where you don't really get in into them. They come to the gym, you train them, and that, and they they tell you in no uncertain terms by their mannerisms and the way they are that you're only ever going to really be their coach. And yeah. They see you when they come to the gym, and they see you on fight night, and 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 that's really it. But I think most kids. You get you get to have a relationship with some some more than others, um, you know, particularly good relationships over the years with, you know, I, I don't want to really miss anybody out, but more recently like Chris Jenkins and um, yeah. Reese Edwards, um, guys like that, Nick Blackwell, uh, very good relationship with Nick and Liam Williams, myself, we're still friends now, even though you know he's he he went first to Dom Ingle and now to Adam Booth, so um, you know I've had. A, a lot of good relationships over the years and uh, happy to say that um, the vast majority of the people that I've ever trained I still I'm still friendly with them now that's good that's it. and it's funny it always see from the outside it always seems with boxing as if when fighters move on to a different coach mm. it quite often seems like there's been a fallout whereas like I'll speak to to Danny and Richard and a few other people like coaches around the country and MMA side of things and they almost actively encourage the fighters to go from, uh, you know, co- coach to coach and learn new things. Yeah. And then they tend to come back. But I find from the outside, at least with boxing, it does seem like there's always, if someone moves on from say you to Adam Booth or whoever, there's a there's a bit of a fallout. So it sounds like you've been a bit lucky. There's, yeah, I think that that is the way that it is. You know, if it always makes me laugh where you you see a, a coach and a boxer hugging and kissing each other after fights and they love each other to death and you know they work so well together and then something happens and you see the boxers left the trainer 
that trainer hates that boxer now. Mm. So you, 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 I've always thought to myself, well, that that would be really stupid. I'm not that kind of person anyway. Once you know, once I'm, once I'm, I'm I don't. How can I put it? I don't um, have a lot of people around me. I don't have hangers on. Um, I keep my circle very, very tight. So anyone that I do let in, I know that I can trust them. So mm. I tend to um, I tend to build relationships that last rather than um, you know falling out with people all the time. But I think for me to sort of let someone in and really like someone, and then because they left to go to a different coach, to then hate them that to me just doesn't make any sense but it just seems to be the case with all you know the vast majority of coaches the, the boxer leaves them they, do, they don't like them anymore and they want them to get knocked out but um, you know with with Liam there was a conversation where he had to get really away from home needed a, he needed to get away from home a lot of influences back home um, you know the obvious influences that any boxer has got but uh, I think he, he needed a fresh a fresh start after being with me for seven years and um, you know Obviously, it was it was difficult, but we definitely didn't fall out. In fact, he asked me where where I thought he should go. Um, but um, you know, we're still friendly this day, so um, sure, it is it is a bit opinion. Yeah, it is it is it is a bit unusual. I, I get that, but um, I think that's just the way I am. Um, and once I build relationships, I don't like to let them um, let them go. Yeah, and I think the other thing you you mentioned about keeping your, your like your circle tight. Mm. That's something which I can definitely relate to, but particularly. As I've got older, um, I've kind of realised that it's better to have a few close friends who you can trust 100%. Because what I found is, very briefly on me, um, I had a car accident in 2008, which suddenly meant that I was in a wheelchair and I was on crutches, which meant I lost my job, wasn't able to go out drinking and stuff with the boys, um, wasn't able to do play football you see your cricket. friends are. Yeah. Because the... the, the the circle closes very quickly when this when you're not like the rest of, of the people um, when you're not you know long story short um, there was um, a young boy who had a brain injury um, Nathan Davis um, mm -hmm. and I got involved tried to raise some money for him I don't know how much we did actually raise but I think I meet him every now and again we go out for a little beer with the family and uh, I think they, they really appreciate that but I've seen how little friends he's got now since having a brain injury you know he can't do the things that his mates can do he can't like you just said and it's life you know it's, these people these people are not bad people because they just they, they feel uncomfortable probably yeah. you know and and uh, no I, I can agree with what you're saying there and uh, you know why, why not have three or four good people rather than have 10 or 10 or 15 people where you don't really know if they're there for the success or whether yeah. they're there for this or that, but um, I mean, you see it in boxing all the time, don't you? You get lots of hangers on. Oh, hang I mean, yeah. remember Tyson? All the you know, all those guys around in bowler hats, looking important in their suits, and you know, I wonder if they were there when uh, he was at rock bottom. And uh, I would be very surprised. Exactly. And you'd be very, so, probably be very surprised if many of them are still around oh, now. With I think, I think we they know the might answer. be back. Some of them might be back yeah. again now. But yeah. I mean, funny enough, I'll never forget. Um, the first time I interviewed Paddy the Baddy a couple of years ago and he told me when he first won the featherweight title in Cage Warriors um, he was like 19 the the hottest thing because he was so young as well and he just had so many people around him in Liverpool who were just you know wanted to get into clubs free and this free and, and everything and then when he lost the fight because he turned out well, he turned down the UFC and then he lost the fight and then he lost his title they all disappeared Mm. And he had to really 
uh, readdress like outside of the cage like what he was doing and who he yeah. could you know, it's he was lessons it's, it's, it's life lessons isn't it and if I you don't learn so. from them then, then you've got to be a fool and uh, they say in boxing you know every, every loss you learn from every loss and you, you learn you know so much more from a loss than you do from a win but there's all the other lessons as well it's the people around you you make a decision whether to have these people around you or not certain things happen and um, you've got to be wise enough to, to, to choose the people you have around you uh, very, very carefully. Yeah, 100%. Who's the biggest influence on you, do you think, over your, like your boxing career and then coaching now? I, my, my dad. You know, I have to, I'd have to say you know, my biggest influence on me has, has been my dad. I mean, I was pushed into boxing in a way. Um, I'll be honest with you, you know, for, for, for long periods, I never wanted to be in the ring. And um, I think it may be I was boxing for kind of acceptance from my dad to make my dad proud. Um, I won everything there was to win in the amateurs at, at sort of schoolboy and junior level, um, and then I turned pro at nineteen. But you know, I boxed the world titles and I won. I won a minor version the WBU, um, but I beat some good names. You know, I beat mm. some like Kevin Kelly, Ryan Rhodes, Lee Blundell, guys like that. Um, so I just imagine what I could have done if if I was hungry. Yeah, and like you know, yeah. a lot of the boxers I've gone in the gym, they they absolutely love the sport. It's their life. If that had been me, I only imagine what I might have done. But uh, I don't want to be that guy that's in the pub um, <laughs> saying what I could have done. What could have but, been? Uh, no, I did. I did okay. Um, yeah, indeed, I did okay. But uh, but no, that's a different story. So I am interested in that dynamic in terms of like I see like with my oldest son. My oldest son's seventeen now, and he's kind of since he was probably six was in six or seven was in like football academies, and he was very good. Probably not quite good enough, but. He was good, and he would go through periods where there'd be a couple of years where he was so dedicated, and then he would kind of drop out of it a little bit, and then now he's kind of completely fallen off. And I look back to when I was a child, I was the same, but for very different reasons. I was very good, but I just wasn't interested. Like, I liked football, but I wasn't interested in working every day on football at the age of 15. Mm. I was more interested in girls and going out with my mates and stuff yeah, my dad would make me go but when I was 16 my dad died and then it's like like you just said I do feel sometimes when this comes up on the podcast and things like this I feel like I'm the guy who's saying oh what could have been what you know if I had uh, had the dedication I could have done this and that but it's just you said something a minute ago it's, it's life and you've got to kind of learn those lessons but I am interested in that dynamic of you coming into boxing so how old were you when you first started? Eight when I first started. See, that's quite young, isn't it, as yeah, well? very like, young. Sorry, sorry. So, eight-year-old coming into boxing who doesn't really want to do it, were you good no, at I'd it? I'd say at that time, at that time, obviously, you know, you, you want to try it. You want to see what it's like. And I was useless. <clears throat> okay. I was absolutely useless. And um, turning away you were going to tell me you were a natural away, talent. Like turning you. away from this. No, I was, I was a natural talent. But what I'm saying is in the first, the first, few weeks mm. um, of turning away from the shots you know not getting one again that's to say with all all kids but then as soon as you realize then that the punches in the face the taps in the face they don't really hurt unless you get smashed on the nose or yeah. or maybe in the eye uh, you know the, the, the normal sort of cuffing punches in the face they don't really hurt and as soon as I had the um, uh, as, soon as, I got, as soon as I got used to that fact 
and I was able to start throwing my own punches, then um, I think you could see that I had a, a good bit of talent. But then, I think when I was um, when I was about twelve, maybe thirteen, my dad used to say how hard I could hit. Um, and then when I was fourteen, I think I boxed Wales against Northern Ireland boys clubs over there. I'll never forget it because we went on over the, on a ferry and it was force ten, force eleven um, um, gales and um, you couldn't walk down the ferry. There was there was thousands of pounds of damage, all everything falling over and people falling, everybody being <laughs> sick and sick bags. But that's a that's a different thing. But no, I I lost a guy called Hugh McNally, friends with on Facebook now, lost to Hugh on a split decision over there, very close. Probably could have gone either way. But then um, that was when we were 13. I boxed him then when we were 14, the return leg in Cardiff, which was a year later. And um, I stopped him in the first round. I split his eye. And everybody was like, this, this guy, we never knew he was a puncher. I'd had about 15, 16 fights, but only one stoppage. So, uh, but and from then, I started stopping everyone then. Give me that, that, that one inside the distance when it kind of gave me the, the confidence then to, to let my punches go. So besides the besides the talent I had power to go with it so mm. um, at that that had, at that age I was uh, I was uh, very very good does that give you a bit of belief then when you have that sort of first big stoppage of it like mm. gives you a bit of belief in your in your not in your own abilities necessarily but like in your power and that you are capable because sometimes I see particularly some young fighters if they haven't got that first finish as a professional or that first finish as, a, as an amateur it can it can play on their mind a little bit because mm. I've interviewed a couple and they're like they're very focused on getting the finish in the next fight more or sometimes it seems more than you know just get the win yeah it's almost like they want that finish which of course is that's what gets you the the bonuses and the things like this but 100% I think you know what I I was a natural puncher and uh, there's very very few people can stop can end a fight with one shot very very few I mean I look at all my lads and um, there's not there's not anyone as as talented as, as they are, mind. Um, there's there's very few can end a fight with one shot. Um, and if you think of it realistically, how many people in Britain can do you look and you think shit? You know, one shot here and the fight's all over. There's not very many. There's a few. Don't get me wrong, but you know, there's not very many. So I think when you've got that, when you have that one punch power, then it really does make things a lot easier. But to be honest. You know, you were talking about talent and, and 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 dedication and stuff like that. And you know, we 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 you know we constantly hear these things about you know he's he's oh my god he's he's one of the best I've ever seen. He's so talented. But then, you know, there's there's been a few and there's been more than a few in in my boxing lifetime. Um, to mention a few, to Tony Darkady, um, Lewis Reese was another one who was pro with me. Um, there's no end of guys over the years who just had everything when it mm. comes ability and skill and talent but they just you know I think with Tony um, you know the traveller lifestyle I think didn't really the traveller lifestyle a lot of the time you see the travellers they're absolutely brilliant and then they get to a certain age and they start growing outwards and I just don't think you know that the, the, the diet and the lifestyle really conforms with being a pro boxer obviously you've got your exceptions there's a lot of good pro yeah. boxers that are travellers but I think with Tony he was a typical he was a typical sort of traveller lifestyle, and and uh, he liked his food too much, and, and was always killing himself to make weight. But I think the long and short of the story is, you know, he, talent is only a very, very, very small 
piece of the pie, isn't it? I think the yeah. dedication and the and the and the you know the application, the main things, and and you know I was constantly telling my son. I've constantly been telling my son. You know, he's a he's a decent rugby player. He played the Ponapree district, um, uh, and I've constantly said to him the hard work. The hard workers are the ones that get the furthest, and um, you know there's been even at his age now he's fifteen, he's going on sixteen. There's guys that used to be brilliant uh, in the in the younger districts like eleven, twelve. They're nowhere to be seen now yeah. because they didn't really either they didn't have the application or they wasn't bothered or they 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 find they find drink at a young age or what have you. So he's already seen that, and I say it to all the boxes as well. It's the dedication and the hard work that's that's that the main that's the things that's going to get you to where you you need to be yeah you can't get by on talent alone i think you come to a certain level yeah. you know and uh you you see it in the pros you, you see no end of guys get to six seven eight and oh but then the minute they're fighting someone who's going to hit back the minute they're fighting someone who's got that dedication who's trained who's trained their ass off for sort of 10 weeks who's done the weight right who's done everything right that's where they come unstuck. They end up getting beaten by someone who, talent-wise, isn't good enough to, to lace their boots. But because they worked harder than them, they've done everything right. They end up getting beaten by guys mm. like that. It's interesting, isn't it? It's, um, it's that's it, that's a conversation which I could really delve into. Um, but I kind of want to keep it moving on you as well. Um, like over the years, for you when you, in your fighting career, is there a particular fight? when you look back which you think yeah that's my favourite whether it's because it was for a title or because it was a, a bit of a war um, I had Jay Munn in here um, about a month ago and um, when I was asking him about his you know what he'd like for the future mm. a lot of fighters say world titles he said he wants to have a few legendary wars with you know with like uh, rivals that yeah. sort of that people look back on twenty years time and say, "God, do you remember that fight between so and so and so?" I'm sure. I'm sure you will, um, Jay. You know, you mentioned about you don't get a couple of stoppages, and then that's all the person can think of. He's he's one of those now. He's had seven, and uh, he hasn't stopped any. But look, he's fought he's fought seven guys that have come to survive. Mm. He's got fought seven guys that are experts on seeing punches come in drawing punches, seeing them coming and blocking them or running away and I mean the last guy he fought, he was chasing him around the ring for like two minutes of every round and then when the guy stopped, Jay go to hit him, he just rugby tapped him around the waist. <laughs> but it's all experience. Yeah. You have to learn from these things. It's all experience. You know, you, you, you fight a southpaw, you fight orthodox guy, perhaps you fight a boxer, you fight a guy who, who comes swinging. You, you know, you fight a guy who's running all the time, you fight a guy who's covering up all the time. These are all experiences which add to to your own experience, isn't it? Mm. But um, the, the 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 question you asked me what, when I went off on a tangent, then no, uh, I think the the favourite, my favourite win, is a lot of favourite wins, you know, because I, I I turned pro with John Highland, who at the time had IDV, um, and they offered me a good contract, signed, of course it was ITV, and the minute I signed. Um, about two weeks later, Bernie Eggleston sued ITV, mm. so ITV pulled the plug on boxing. So I was left boxing on small hall bills. But I had seven fights with John, and John and his brother Stephen Neil Monroe absolutely treated me amazingly. You know, I was training in Liverpool; they treated me brilliant. Um, but I had to get my contract back. I had to sort of try and make a, a proper goal of my career. Um, and then I signed for Matchroom. So um, Barry Hearn was managing me. I had seven fights under Matchroom. 
about the second or third fight, people started talking about me. I was I was knocking kids out, and I remember um, there's a danger man on the scene called um, Hussein Osman, um, and he was he was always the opponent. He always used to go to go to the backyard and and, and win. I think he was seven wins and one defeat, but the defeat came to a guy who just run away. Guy beat in the amateurs called James Lowther. So um, I was supposed to box a journeyman called Howard Clark, and uh, I had a phone call on the morning of the weigh-in. I was still in the house. It was about half a seven. We were going to leave on the train. And it was John Wish, who incidentally I work with now with Sky. Um, and John said, Gary, said, Howard Clark's pulled out. Um, would, would you box Hussein Osman? I said, absolutely, I'll box Hussein Osman. I think I was seven and oh, he was seven and one. So I come off the phone, my dad said, you shouldn't have done that. He said, that's a dangerous, dangerous fight. It's too soon for that. I said, don't worry about it. I said, this, I'll knock this guy out. He'll make too many mistakes. And um, we, uh, anyway, we got into a, I tried to box him a little bit, but I kept getting drawn in. And uh, I ended a fight with a left hook in the, in the second round. And um, it was one of those fights that got everybody saying, call this kick and fight. Yeah. Um, and then I followed that up with a, a couple of other uh, really good wins. I'd say my be- uh, my favourite win though was probably my best win um, against Ryan Rhodes. You know, Ryan Rhodes is, is, was an accomplished fighter, a world class guy, and um, you know we had a, we had an up and down battle. He was down in the first, I was down in the tenth, um, but in, in the end I won it on the unanimous decision, quite comfortably in the end. In the end, but he pushed me all the way, mm. um, so that was probably my best performance. One of my favourite wins uh, was when I won the WBO Intercontinental title. Uh, I was on a Frank Warren bill. He was in Manchester. Ricky Hatton boxed on the undercard. He boxed a Russian guy. Not the undercard, sorry. He was main card. Uh, boxed a Russian. I boxed a guy called Kevin Kelly, who'd been to these shores. He boxed a guy called Chris Pyatt years and years before. You know, probably won most of the rounds and got robbed over here. He'd been a Commonwealth champion two or three times. He's boxed for the WBA title against David Reed. Pretty of a, do- bit of a dodgy decision there. So I'm thinking, God, this guy can fight. I mean, he was 32, so he was a bit past his sell-by date, but um, he could still fight. And uh, anyway, he, mm. he did take me to school for three rounds, but then um, I landed in the fourth and, and, and stopped him. So um, that's probably one of my favourite wins as well. It's interesting because... <clears throat> so your dad, like, has marked the Usman fight as problematic, potentially. Yeah. But you were, uh, you had that belief that no, I'll stop him. I think I just said that to my dad because I wanted to go out of the house and make <laughs> weight because I always, always struggle for weight, you know. And you're uh, a big, big, I was a big so cutter. F- Thursday, um, yeah, I suppose I was. But you know, in, in I never thought I'd say this in my day. It was very different <laughs> than weight cutting weight back then, wasn't it? I, I just now. picture old people saying that in my day. Mm, never thought yeah. I'd say. Yeah, no, I think. Boxing's always been so far behind every other sport. I think we've all, always been 20 years behind. Now I'm talking in terms of, is any proper nutrition involved in boxing now? Strength training, things like that. These were all, you know, people, they were getting this right in, in different sports 15 years ago. So when when I was boxing, literally we used to just starve, just eat, eat as little as we could and um, just cut the fluids. Whereas now it's completely opposite. You know, I make sure my guys are, are, are always well um, well hydrated and, and eating really as often as they can. Um, so, but yeah, I was um, I always, you know, struggled for weight. I was I'd always be maybe 
especially when it comes to tidal fights and stuff, I'd always be five, six, seven pound over in the morning in the weigh-in, and I have to get rid of it. Um, but the difference is these days, they're, they're hydrated, so the six, seven pound is there to come off, whereas when I was always dry as a bone, yeah. so how I made it. And how would you get that off then, on, without, because I'm assuming back in them days, you wouldn't have had things like the sauna suits and the stuff that they might How old do you think I am? I don't know. About the same age as me, mate. Forty-five. I am. No, no I retired. Older. I retired two thousand and eight. So yeah, ah, of course, right, of course, yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah, of course you did. You know, and, and sauna suits and whatever. So that's why I used to do sauna suits in the sauna. I probably, I probably do about maybe ten or fifteen minutes on the treadmill just to get a sweat going, and then in and out of the sauna and very painful. Yeah, I see it. I think it's it's not so much. I didn't know how old you were. I think <laughs> it's that I forget how old I am. You're trying to dig yourself out of the yeah, hole. That's that's it, man. Don't upset boxes. And no, no, that's no, the last no, thing you do, isn't it? No problem at all. Um, yeah, it's, it is a weird, weird one, like because as someone who doesn't have to cut weight and stuff, and I, you know, I've seen video horror stories and videos and stuff, and I've seen and I've spoken to fighters and coaches about it, and like I think if you do it professionally and safely, it's all right in that. But I look at some people around the world or some places around the world who aren't doing it as perhaps safely and as professionally as it can be done and it does it does worry me I think more on the sort of MMA side of things but I don't know you'll be able to tell me more like is there do boxers cut around the same sort of amount of weight as what MMA, MMA guys tend to do in my experience the MMA guys they just have got a lot more to lose when it comes to like the last day mm. or the, the say the morning of the weigh-in or the night before the weigh-in they seem to have a lot more to cut I don't know if that's a thing they do on purpose but I think with boxers um, it tends to be more you'll diet your weight down as far as you can and then if you have to take some off on the morning of the weigh-in then so be it yeah. I just think that's the main difference um, with, with MMA and boxing and um, you know, incidentally, I've got um, one of the MMA nutritionists working one on one with one of my guys, and that shows very evidently because he was uh, my guy was making, let's say, has to make, let's say, sixty kilo, and uh, he basically said to the guy, as long as you're, as long as you're sixty four and a half, the week before, I don't mind. So I'm like, that's four and a half kilo, that's that's too much, way too much. So I ended up speaking to the to the guy. And the guy said, look, I understand your concerns. What I'll do is I'll cut this and I'll cut that and I'll cut fibre and I'll cut water and it'll bring him down that little bit more. Now, obviously, the guy clearly knows what he's talking about. He's yeah. very, very good. But he's used to that MMA cut at the end, whereas I, I don't want that. Yeah. So when I'm trying to keep him strong for his training, right up until, I say, yeah, but he doesn't train for the last, really speaking, the last week. It's just sharpening up. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's something I'm quite uncomfortable with, losing all that weight right in the end. Yeah, in a short space of time. You know, I've seen some of these MMA guys doing like 24 pound. Yeah, oh, it's horrifying to watch. As someone, like even for me, who, you know, my life is very much watching fights and mm. talking about them on a weekly basis. But I'm still on, you know, I'm on the outside of it. Whereas guys like yourself who are on the inside of it. But like you see some videos of guys and they just look broken like those last couple of hours and they're, they're only trying to get rid of maybe two or three pounds by that point but they've given so much in the 12 hours yeah, or 24 I've, hours before you know I, I've seen it you know Lou, Lou Long um, yeah. Jack Shaw 
some of the weight cuts you know, are very very tough but it's all part and parcel of it yeah. and these MMA guys are tough mate let me tell you uh-huh. you know the MMA guys are a lot tougher than boxing guys I'd say you know um, not on the whole but to be an MMA fighter this is the main difference what I noticed with these MMA guys they're no journeyman so every time they go in a fight the other guys come in to win so yeah. they're in a fight so you know and that's unheard of in boxing it doesn't happen anymore because you know you have to give the the guys these tomato cans or I, I don't ever use the word bum I, I don't like no. that word but um, you know tomato cans or, or journeyman or wh- whatever people want to call them winnable fights um, <laughs> you can say that again <laughs> um, some guys just don't even they don't even come to fight some yeah. guys throw one punch and they run and they grab hold and I don't really want my guys having too many of those but they have to have these learning fights against these journeymen in order to progress um, but then you know in MMA it's completely different there are no learning fights it's all they're all learning fights against guys that come to win it's just how do you I haven't had the conversation with Shaky actually but how how do you know guys how good people. someone is without giving them the it's, 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 it's one I can't get my head around but it's that's how tough the sport is it's, and it's I just think it's evolving all the time MMA and it's becoming it's becoming more popular than Wales uh, than, than boxing in Wales I think if you look at um, a, lot of the, a lot of these bills in Wales not so much now I've got I've got three or four very good ticket sellers um, so really I could put four guys on a bill and sell the bill out mm. um, Jay Munn is one of them um, but, um, uh, ben Crocker, Kieran Jones, um, they're very good ticket sellers. Um, there's a guy I managed, um, uh, Jamie Lee, who Gavin Reese trains. He's a good ticket seller as well. So, you know, th- those guys they could sell out a bit on their own. But I mean, um, I've lost, I lost, I've lost my um, track of where I was going with that. I think, like with them, MMA being more popular than. All right, okay, so, right. I've got, I've got it back now. I went off on one then. Um, they, it, it was struggling to sell. Let's let's say a couple of years ago, the, the bills were struggling to sell. I put a couple on myself. I ended up losing thousands um, because people just couldn't sell the tickets. You put an MMA bill on in Wales, sells out. Oh yeah, I couldn't believe it. You know, I, I went to a couple of them. I'm like, it's bouncing in here. A couple of the Jack Shaw, um, Cage Warriors ones, absolutely fantastically organised. Um, everything run like clockwork the venue almost sold out every single time and I said to a couple of my mates boxing could learn a lot from MMA the way they organize it everyone just wants to buy tickets but I think maybe part of that was the boxing bills you put on all the guys on the left hand side of the bill are all against journeymen and they're not really fights a lot of them you know they're just one guy beating up on another guy so perhaps that's perhaps that's the reason it is but um, you know MMA as I say as a sport is is evolving all the time. It's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The thing is, if you've got a card which has got like like I said, one sided where you almost know who's going to win ninety nine point nine percent of the time, you're depending on those individual fighters to sell tickets. Then aren't you hundred percent because yeah. you, the fight isn't itself isn't going to sell mm. the ticket. Yeah. Whereas, like you say, in MMA, you've got that. And I think you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one thing I've noticed from interviewing fighters and is I find it. 20 million times harder to get a boxer to interview 
on a podcast or on the fight show on a Sunday. MMA guys, they're very good at um, getting their name out there. And look, my channel's not massive, but it's got a, an audience of 20,000 people or whatever who watch. So it's like, that's that. if you're a whoever, a fighter, a footballer, whatever, if you want to get your name out there, there's potentially X amount of people yeah, and you've got to sell yourself. If you don't sell yourself, how are you ever going to end up selling tickets? And you know, a lot of these guys, unfortunately, um, they have to sell tickets. You know, I've got a couple of guys who were, were signed by bigger promoters. They, it doesn't matter whether they sell tickets or not. But for the small hall bills, if you don't sell tickets, you don't fight. It's as simple as that. So the more you can sell yourself on social media, podcasts such as this one, and uh, and and different type, types of things. I mean, there's a guy um, in 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 Newcastle called Joe Laws. Just from um, just from selling himself on social media, acting like a bit of a, a I don't want to use the word clown, but I know I'm not putting him down when I say clown, but he's yeah, acting like a clown and putting himself out there. Mm. He was selling like a thousand tickets for a bill in um, in, in Newcastle. Uh, that's just unbelievable for someone who didn't have the you know the amateur background yeah. of. Of the champions, you know, like a Joe Cordine or someone like that, um, amateur background, always going to be going. Never will never have to box on a small hall bill because he's done all the work in the amateurs. He's won all the medals in the amateurs. So um, yeah, but, but Joe Laws, none of that. Just went to the pros and then media. was selling a thousand tickets. Unbelievable. Yeah, good or whether it's good or bad, I haven't decided yet. But social media is uh, even as popular as it is now. It's, it's the future. Oh. If you want to. I don't like it particularly. I literally use it simply because I need to. But like, it's you look around at the most popular MMA and boxers within the UK, and um, a lot of them have got have used social media to build their following. Of course, Paddy the Baddy. You look at um, the, oh, I forget his name. Um, Florian Marquez, who fought Cressy the other week. Yeah, Florian Marquez. I was just about to yeah. mention him as well because he's he done was, that very well. He was selling a thousand tickets early on as well, but I think that's his um, his um, Albanian heritage, isn't it? You know, was, you've got a lot of Al Albanians over here, of course, yeah. and of course they've got very few sporting icons they can follow. So when they find one, they get a hundred percent behind yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. But I think he's. He, I see him quite a lot on social media. I think he's used it pretty well. I think um, uh, some of the guys at S Jam. Um, boxing pretty good as well at uh, promoting him. Um, so one of the things I wanted to ask you about, if you don't mind, was um, Nick Blackwell. Mm. Um, and I was wondering if you could sort of tell us a bit about that because just about the whole kind of situation really as a whole because obviously yourself, when you were fighting and now you're training fighters to go in, there's, there's a risk, which we all know. Um, and sometimes kind of the... You know the worst can happen to these fighters. Before you sort of talk a little bit about Nick, like, how much is that in your mind as a coach when you're training, particularly sort of younger fighters, to push on to be professionals? Is it something that you think about, or is it something that you kind of almost try not to think about and just focus well, on what, what, uh, what happened with Nick? Yeah, it's something that will never leave me. To mm. be honest, you know, um, there's there's the incident that happened and then the, there was the criticism um social media criticism um probably the toughest time in my life uh when i've been criticized before for pulling fighters out too soon 
you know, um, uh, you know, too safe and too this, too that. And then, you know, we we had Nick. Nick came. This Nick's first fight with me was for the British title against da uh, Gary. Um, Gary. Nick's first fight with me was for the British title against John Ryder. I went to say Gary Ryder because he's an ex gym mate of mine. So, but no, John Ryder. And um, Nick didn't do anything for four rounds. Just walked forward, just taking punches. So I can remember saying in the fifth round, "What are you doing?" He went, "I haven't got started yet." I said, "I know. Is it, is it about time you started?" Yeah, I'm just, I'm just wearing him out. I said, "What? By getting in the face? <laughs> Cut over the eye, bleed the nose." Like, okay. So he put, he put a shift in in about the fifth round. He went quiet again in the sixth, and they stopped John Ryder in the seventh. I just, why didn't you start sooner? He said, no, I just, I knew I was going to tire him out by, he used to use, I know this sounds quite barbaric, but he used to use his face and his body as a battering ram mm. to tire people out because he'd walk them down and they tried to fight him off. And I think the more you do that, the more you tire yourself out. And he did the same in his first defense against um, Damon Jones, lost the first five rounds and then bang, Lost the first four rounds, bang, knocked him out in the sixth. And he just, you know, he just, he just got used to the way that he fought. He had a tough one then with Jack, Jack Arnfield in his second defence. Two and throwed, and he dropped Jack, and, and he beat him pretty comfortably on points. But then the Eubank fight just didn't really get started. And um, even though he was losing the rounds, he was laughing and joking in the corner. and. I said, what's his power like? He said, he can't punch. He said, he's, he just puts them together well. I said, but you, you've got to get forward. You've got to start countering a little bit more. You've got to do this. But he never really got started. But um, before you knew it, um, I can remember in the seventh or eighth round, I think he had a swelling. And I said, look, do you want me to pull you out? He went, what for? <laughs> so when you've got a fighter in the corner, if the fighter's absolutely knackered and, and you know, Cuts and bruises all the way about. Of course, of course, you pull them out. But with with Nick, it was it was completely different. And I mean, of course, look, if I if I knew that he was going going to get a brain injury, I could foresee what was going to happen. He wouldn't have even made it to the ring. Mm. Of course, you know, I I love the guy. I love him now. Um, but it's it's just one of those things. We can't we can't turn back time. But I mean, the criticism that I had. Those commentators, not once in that fight, mentioned him being stopped. Not once. No, no one ever mentioned this fight should be stopped. Yeah. But then, I think it was pretty much the same on social media. But then, as soon as he, he collapsed, because you wouldn't have seen it because it went to um, uh, adverts, he collapsed in my arms when I was um, in the centre of the ring. And um, uh, it was only then people go, he's collapsed, he's in a coma. Right, who should we point the finger at? Yeah. Well, it was a referee, and it was his corner. I know Vic Lachlan, the referee, had a head of a time as well um, on social media, and I, I spoke to him a couple of days after the fight, and uh, yeah, he had a hell of a time as well. But um, you know, it is what it is, and you know, the, the, the thing I comforted myself—I turned all my social media off. I took—I just knocked it off on my phone because I realised what was going to happen, and um, it would have been awful for me to see it. I didn't actually see any of it, but I was told some of the yeah. things that were being said and what have you. There was a couple of people said something to my son in the school. Um, it's got to be so difficult because, look, in 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 reality, all all you care about is 
his neck. But then you've got all, like you say, you've got all these people, they're, they're looking for someone to blame. They're blaming you. Even your sons had, to, had a few things say to him. Like, how do you deal with that as a as a coach, as a father, as a friend, you know, as everything? Like, it's got to be a very traumatic time mentally to deal oh, with. It was big time. But I think, think the thing I comforted myself with is, you know, today's newspapers are tomorrow's chip papers and that's yeah. exactly what happened they soon moved on to somebody else i mean listen it always it always it always sticks with me i get the odd things said to me on social media every now and again you know enzo said enzo said not so long ago you know gary Lockett, you know absolutely straight one of the best people i met in boxing this that big friend or have you know a great person something like that and some guys said uh, i remember him i remember what a great person he was the night nick blackwell he was an absolute disgrace well Come and say it to my face, mm. and I'll tell you. I'll tell you, and you won't say that anymore. Yeah, I'll tell you exactly the reason and behind why. Let's say I just like you just pretty yeah, much you know, just I've explained dream, myself. I mean, geez, you know, you shouldn't have you to see, explain. You yourself, see some of these do. fights where the guys getting an absolute shellacking, marks everywhere, closed eyes, and they're still sending them out. Yeah, that is when you should pull a fighter out. You know, and and, and look. 99.9% .9 of the time, those guys don't end up with brain injuries. How are you supposed to see it? You can't yeah. see it. So Yeah, there's been a couple of fights in MMA and in boxing, probably a handful maybe in the last, say, three years, where I've watched them and I've said, I think the corner probably should have stopped it there. Yeah. A handful, maybe. And like you said, those guys, they would have, after that fight, they'd uh, in MMA they have like a medical suspension or whatever, where they can't fight for six months. But they, those guys then just went on, let their injuries heal, and would have been fighting again yeah, in six yeah, months exactly. or whatever exactly, it would be. Yeah. It was just unfortunate um, in this particular situation. Um, what about the 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 like the, the aftermath and and helping um, Nick and his family and stuff like that? The aftermath was pretty good because obviously um, he made a full recovery. Mm. Um, yeah, he made a full recovery and uh, and then. Unfortunately, um, unknown to me, uh, used to come used to come to the gym once a week. Used to train with the boys, obviously just doing circuits and stuff like that. But I never knew that he wasn't supposed to be training. He kept that part away from me. Right, so he wasn't supposed to be he doing supposed to be doing anything. light work. Right, okay. he used to come and do circuits. And um, little did I know that he'd started um, sparring. He started personal training over his way. He was sparring, and uh, I can remember we were over in. Um, Belfast um, with Chris Jenkins and Nick had got his um, trainer's license by then so he was working the corner with me and we went um, we went for something to eat the one night and he said oh I'm, I'm going to try and get my my license through Ireland so I looked at him stupid and I said what license my boxer's license so I thought he was joking I said shut up oh yeah I'm, I'm going to make a comeback will you train me so I started shouting at him in the middle of the restaurant. He was like, oh, calm down, calm down. I said, under no circumstances will I ever train. I said, you've had a brain injury. Mm. But it just just wasn't going in. It's just unbelievable. And um, he basically went down to a place in, um, it's not far from Trowbridge, it's called Devisers. Um, he's gone to a gym there, sparred some cruiserweight guy, and, uh, and collapsed after four rounds. And um, his brother phoned me in the night I thought his brother was joking because obviously having gone through all that to think that he's going to go and spar again mm. or step in a boxing ring again 
you'd think it was a joke, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. So I thought he was him. joking. So I started laughing, but it, it became apparent to me then he was really upset. Um, and, uh, and, and anyway, you know, he's not, he's not, he, he made a full recovery then. He, he hasn't made a full recovery now. He's got a few problems with his, his, his left side, but he's happier than ever. He's got, um, got a very nice girlfriend and um, she's got a little boy who's got a brain injury. So yeah, okay. um, yeah so he's, he's very happy now. So at least some good come of it. But um, you know, what he did to himself is just, just worrying. Oh, I said this could have been like the, the second, but I didn't know the second part of that. Mm. And obviously that, that could have gone even worse, you know, terribly wrong. Could have been well, he could have catched off. Could not have been here at all. Yeah, you know that that's that's the main thing. But I mean, geez, it's, uh, yeah, this is quite morbid, isn't it? Yeah, it says I'm. I'm sorry to sort of finish on that uh, that kind of note. And look, um, I got to say, Gary, I could sit here and talk to you for I've got five minutes anyway. the next hour. I could sit here and speak to you for hours yeah. about it all. But like, as a coach now, like, what's your ambitions? Like, what do you want to? Is it just a case of training as many top quality fighters as possible, or is it? Like no, really, I just, again, you know, it's, I've not got no ego. You know, mm. a lot of these, a lot of these coaches out there have got egos, haven't they? They want oh, to, a few want to be talk, talking about themselves all the time. I mean, look, you know, I just help the boxer to where they they got to be, and uh, I'll get the I'll for, you know I'll get the best opportunities that I can for them. Got some very good contacts, um, good very good contacts of Sky. And you know, and and a lot of the other um, big big promoters, but I wouldn't really put someone to a big promoter unless I knew they could really fight. I'm not going to put every single one of my fighters until I know that they they can really fight, until they prove that they can fight. So, you know, Reese Edwards is one. He's he's just been signed now, um, and then you know, Kieran Jones, he should be the next one. So these guys have just got to prove themselves on these small hall bills and that's when I'll make the call then and, and get them on the mm. on the bigger on the bigger bills I was, you just reminded me of something which I was okay. wanted to ask you about which was um, I've had Gav Gwynn in a few times he's been on the fight show and I've had him in here as well um, I got so much time for Gav yeah um, he's just such a just such an infectious personality isn't he and, um, yeah he's just a normal guy isn't he yeah. you know and uh, a valley boy done good yeah and what I love about him is um, with Gav is that he quite openly says like that it's only in the like the last tw- eighteen months or so when I've really started taking it seriously, and I was able to get the sponsors in so that I could do it full time. That's when things changed for me, mm-hmm. where I was able to put the you know put the focus that I wanted to put into it, you know. And he was he was always dedicated, you know, getting up at city o'clock in the yeah. morning and all this. But he was also then going to work. Work, yeah, exactly. People don't always realise that today with these fighters young fighters particularly is they're trying to do a full-time job as well as do their full-time training and it's yeah well there's some fighters that are lucky no. luckier than others isn't there you know yes. some fighters have got full-time sponsors and um you know some guys have had to do it the hard way like gavin and you know you just see him win the british title the other day which was really good to watch uh you know and you can't fault him he's such a nice guy um and he's done it the hard way and mm. i think that's the best way to do it you know when you've been given the red carpet treatment Okay, you know, listen. These guys have done really well in the amateurs. They've done, they've won medals in the amateurs, won European titles, and been to the Olympics and stuff like that. They're given the they get given the red carpet treatment, and quite rightly so because they've earned that right in the amateurs. But you just see when someone starts off on the small hall bills and they go right through and they they become British Commonwealth champion like Gavin has, then uh, for me it just makes it that a little bit better. 
Yeah, it's the journey, isn't it? It's the yeah, journey of getting there. Yeah. It's just I mean, Lee Salby was the same. Lee Salby was exactly yes. the same, right from the small war bills, Welsh title, Celtic title, and uh, the, the the call when John Simpson pulled out against uh, 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 Swifty Smith. The call to to, to uh, his management to say who's this uh, who's this Lee Selby mm -hmm. seems like a safe matchup. <laughs> Little did they know. <laughs> Yeah, that didn't work out too good for them. But yeah, Lee, Lee, Lee had a tremendous career. Obviously, he's just uh, called time on it now. What I like to finish these shows with um, is uh, it's, it's a bit of a weird question, but I suppose everyone interprets it differently. Like, so it's good. Um, Gary Lockett, what is the meaning of life for you? Like, what would you say it is? I'd have to think about that one, but um, I mean, family's got to be the the obvious one for me. You know, um, my wife, me, and my ch my children, Jack and Alana. We got a lovely little life together, and uh, you know, um, obviously, you, you love your parents, don't you, and and, and your relatives. But I, I think for me, life is all about building a family and um, and doing the best you can to you know take them as far as they can. They, they can go and uh, you know suffice to say my, my two children are quite intelligent they certainly haven't got it from me they've got it from my wife but um, yeah that's the meaning of life for me the, uh, the family is everything good stuff um, guys you can check out um, all the usual places for their shows and stuff like that social media youtube.com slash ace podcast nation please do subscribe and uh, of course check out Gary and his, uh, all his fighters and stuff like that but uh, it's been a pleasure my friend thank you very much Podcast Network.